Yeah. Okay. Three, two. Hello. Oh, shit, I'm gone. That's your record. The fuck up. Hello and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, 13th Warrior. I'm Gav. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And just like the 13th Warrior, we pray for our listeners. Or should that be we pray on our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't decided that yet. <laughs> so seriously, though, if you've never heard the show before, then hold on to your skulls because we're about to make them roll. Essentially, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There's also a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans to keep you entertained, including a caption contest, a quiz, questionable impressions, silly xylophone, playing man banter, and whatever. There's, there's lots of stuff. Stay tuned. This week's film on trial, as I said before, is 13th Warrior. Oh, and, no. and, 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 Antonio Bandaris, or is it Antonio non asked mate? <laughs> that was such a low effort. <laughs> it really was so low effort. <laughs> Hopefully, we're going to find out. We just out. lost the two listeners that we have. Yeah, it's not up to usual standard. I, I don't know, is it 13th Warrior or 13th Quarreler? I don't forget. No, I'm not going to lie, lad libbing. Anyway, but, uh, just to say that this will be a very spoilerific episode. So if you haven't seen it yet, that's understandable. Not that many people have. But you can either listen to this episode after you've watched it. It's available for about four quid on Amazon. Or you can just trust our judgments. Alternatively, you can fast forward to our quiz. This week brought to us by Joel, which we'll highlight in the comments section below. But before we go on, our last film on trial was It, Chapter 2. <laughs> now... <laughs> I know, I didn't think Brucey was here today. <laughs> uh, now, Ozzy, you judged that trial and you deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. Now, you've since gone away and you watched the film. Did you make the right call? Um, oh, yes, yes, I did. Um, I almost didn't watch it because I felt like I had to watch chapter one first. And that was incredibly scary. That was pants-wettingly scary. And um, so, yeah, so I very nearly w- didn't go to watch chapter two. Um, I'm glad I did. It wasn't nearly as good as the first one, but... Um, I think it rounds it off well. How dry or wet were your pants at the end of it, though? Uh, they, they were dry. They were fine. Yeah, yeah. It, it just wasn't as scary as it wasn't as good as the first one, but still good. Okay. Just the first one was so good. I mean, it's yeah. it's always going to be hard, isn't it, to live up to a film that's yeah. that good? Okay. Well, thank you very much for that, Austin. Um, now, before we do go on to the trial, it's time for a little bit of film feels. Unfortunately, Alex isn't here to take up the role of chief film feeler. Uh, so instead, the mantle is getting passed to Dave. Um, unfortunately, we haven't had time to load up a nice bit of music form beforehand, so this is off the cuff. I do apologise, Dave. Uh, so, uh, welcome to Dave's Film Feels. That could have been worse. That could have been much worse. That wasn't so bad. Right, so yeah, Film Feels. In the vein of what I think Alex would predict, what he would say were he here... What is your favourite? It's your favourite of the 13 Warriors. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you can't have anyone who's named. <laughs> now, what would, what's your, what's your favourite 
speech before a battle. Like we're talking an epic battle scene. What's your favourite speech that precedes one? Inspirational stuff now. There's there's loads, isn't there? When you first kind of asked me, I thought, God, I can only think of two. But then as five minutes went by, I thought of more and more. But one that comes to mind for me is uh, King Leonidas from 300. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah, when all the, uh, the bad guys, shall we say, come and uh, try and kill them and he shouts back to them, you know, when he says, put your weapons down, and he's like, you want them, come and take them. And it's just a really good speech. And I think, actually, um, part of that speech they still use in, in the Marines today in, in America, or so I've heard anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a quite motivational speech, and uh, it obviously did them did them well, because they fucked some shit up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, on, on the same, well, in the same vein, yeah, a group of guys going out to kill aliens, uh, Independence Day. <laughs> Yeah. That's a good a Bill yeah. Pullman speech. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, that's a, a great one. speech. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, sort of on the same vein. It's <laughs> not <laughs> <laughs> so technically a battle, although it is. It is. It's a, it's a very big battle. It, mine is Samuel L. Jackson's speech before he gets eaten by a shark in Deep Blue Sea. Does that count? Because he doesn't really get to finish it. Yeah, he's cut off. Literally. Cut off halfway through. <laughs> Literally cut off halfway through. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's rousing. It's motivational. It gets yeah. everybody pumped to go and fight the shark. Before they then shit themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes there is that in battle as well, you know, right? There's, there's that the kind of rousing sense of building up courage only to shit your pants afterwards, yeah. which Ozzy will attest to after watching it. <laughs> yeah, it took me a long uh, Somebody should have given me a rousing speech beforehand <laughs> to, to, to drum up the courage, yeah. yeah. Okay, Dave. And I'll just cap off with... I'm I'm going to say two, probably the two most iconic speeches before a battle. It's got to be Braveheart. Yep. And it's got to be Gladiator. They are, they're iconic. Those really iconic. You can just quote bits of them. That's right. You can take our land, but you cannot take... (laughs) <laughs> that's exactly my, yeah, tra- my trousers. <laughs> that, that's pretty much it, yeah. yeah. I mean, famously, they didn't wear any trousers anyway, so I think somebody had already robbed his trousers. I think it should have been, you can take my trousers, but you can't take, I don't know, my shoes. Anyway, right, thank you very much for that, Austin, uh, and, and Dave, and whatever. Whoever did it, yeah. <laughs> Alex, I guess. Okay, on to the bulk of the show. Right, now, this week's film, as mentioned before, is The 13th Warrior. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I apologise to everybody. It was war. It was war. What is it good for? But uh, obviously nothing. <laughs> Absolutely fucking nothing. Okay. Now the Thirteenth Warrior hasn't been picked out of the hat at random, but it has instead been picked by our lovely Captain Dave here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as Dave has picked the film, he will be defending it. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave is a bit like you're going to have to help me with this name, Dave. Um, yeah. uh, I, I've got it written down as Bellwiff. Bellwiff. <laughs> Bellwiff. <laughs> really. <laughs> Clearly spelled with a U. Uh, for, our Amer- for our American listeners, you should Google that. Yeah. Yeah. Bullwife. Not, not oh. in work. Bull, bull bullwife. Bullwife, yeah, okay. So he's just like Bullwife. Uh, bullwife. Bull, bull, bull's wife. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> uh, he's just like Bullseye. Uh, he's like a bull. <laughs> he has a very faithful dog, but he's prone to a bit of poisoning. <laughs> Alcohol poisoning. It is my weakness. <laughs> <laughs> now, the rest of the roles have been picked out at random. Uh, now, I did, I did uh, I've got Brucey down here. I said, joining Dave in defense and trying to get the film placed on the hit list will be Alex, but he's not here, but I'm going to read this out anyway, so screw him. Alex is a little like King Krothka. 
him, yeah, he's quite happy to sit on his ass, do nothing, and let other people clean up his shit after him. <laughs> I'm thinking about the time that all of us bandied together to clean out his fridge. <laughs> oh, I bad, hope he listens to this episode. Bad times. He never does, yeah. but I hope he does. <laughs> Speaking of um, of Pennywise the Clown, that is like a, a, a nightmarish vision that he would have conjured up. <laughs> Brucey's smelly fridge, which coincidentally is the name of uh, an 80s rock band. Um, <laughs> And acting in this prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be me and Ozzy. Now, I'm a little bit like Omar Sharif's Dave... Uh, Melchizedek. Him, yep. Uh, you think I'm going to be doing a lot in this episode, but in reality, I'm going to do fuck all. <laughs> and Ozzy is just like Antonio Banderas's Ahmed... Ibn Fadlan. Him. Um, yep. He was a quiet, mild-mannered, arty type before he started hanging around with us and then we corrupted him. And now he's seen some shit, man. <laughs> he's seen a lot of shit. <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, we will be making the best case for our roles. These may or may not be our genuine opinions, though, so do stay tuned till the end of the episode to hear our real thoughts. Which means this week, Joel has the most important role as he will be playing the judge. Now, Joel is just like Herger the Joyous. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, finally spot a on. name. I got it. Uh, it's just like Herger the Joyous. Not in name, obviously, Joel. Um, whenever it appears like he's not doing any work at all, it's only because he's playing possum, honestly. <laughs> it's not a case that he just likes to sit around in his bills playing FIFA all day. He's just playing possum, ready to do some work. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that, now Joel, Joel's, Joel's colleagues do listen to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Joel works really hard all the time. Um, now, Joel must decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, and not using his own opinion. But before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the spin, 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 let us spin the character, let us spin the wheel of impressions. Okay, so here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters of the film. This week it has landed on Dave. Now, um, how would we like Dave to read out the synopsis of 13th Warrior? I suppose it's quite hard uh, without yeah. sounding a bit racist. Yeah, I was going to say Banderas, is, is, that's the touchy one. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we do um, Norse? Norse? I could, yeah, I could try it. Yeah. Yeah, this, this, that, is, this is a tricky one. I suppose it's a little less racist. And I've just hit slightly <laughs> less. I've just looked at the synopsis as well, and I'm doing it's it? huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just surprising get... because there's not much goes on in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no, mad. No, it's, it's, yeah. Save it, save it. You've got, you got two minutes to wait. Best. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's mad when the uh, synopsis of a film is longer than the actual script. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go for ball life. Should we give okay. you ten minutes so you can learn the language and then do it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm just gonna try. Okay. He's, going, he's going for bullseye with, with a bullseye. Yeah, thanks. With a deep, deep nose. Okay, a man having fallen in love with the wrong woman is sent by the Sultan himself on a diplomatic mission to a distant land as an ambassador. Stopping at a Viking village port to restock on supplies, he finds himself unwittingly embroiled in a quest to banish a mysterious threat in a distant Viking land. Whoa! Wow. You know what? Sounds like, like like to, uh, sounds like a film I'd want to watch. Yeah, yeah it's good. Good, good <laughs> Jesus. Part, Can you know my bedtime stories to me? Please do. <laughs> Fucking put it on the hit list, mate. I'm not even bothered. Oh, wow. 
Great stuff. Okay. Uh, it is. It is. It is a great film. You heard it here first. <laughs> I meant your impression, to be honest, which was probably the best part of the entire film for me. Wow. Um, I mean, thanks. <laughs> Without further hesitation, Joel, would you like to kick off proceedings, please? Uh, yep. So, full disclosure, I have seen the film, but it was but it was a while ago, so I've forgotten pretty much most of it, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I watched it this morning. I'm the same. <laughs> um, but I just need kind of a quick kind of plot refresher. Nothing too in detail. So, uh, Dave, do you want to kick that off? Yeah, yeah. I, I will be as detailed as I choose to be. <laughs> right, so basically what you got here is... Antonio Banderas uh, plays Ahmed Ibn Falan. He is uh, essentially he's a he's from the Caliphate of Baghdad in the 10th century, who is sent as an ambassador to the European peoples. Now, on this journey, he meets uh, some Volga Vikings. They are Vikings from originally from Denmark, who have basically been around the River Volga for quite some time. He meets them, spends some time with them, and he gets embroiled in this quest. Essentially, a young boy comes asking for help from back in Denmark, from their settlements, saying that they've been attacked by an ancient evil, an ancient curse, and they need help. Now, having spoken with a seer, uh, the seer says that they should go help, but they can only take 13 warriors with them. And he gets dragged into this when the last token she pulls out is... A dark token to symbolize a non-Viking, a non-pagan, which him being Muslim, he fits the bill as the only person there apart from Omar Sharif at the time. So he gets dragged into it. He's not a warrior. He's a scholar. He's a poet. He's an educated man. So he has to go on this quest, learning the language because it was a massive language barrier for him. Uh, He has to learn the language of the Vikings, which happily being a poet and a man of language, he's able to do. And then gets involved in this quest, and essentially they uh, they come up against it's the the tri- it's a tribe that seems to be attacking them called the Vendal. They're supposed to be like these mythical beings. They're kind of like half man, half bear, and they attack the settlements and they're they're killing people left, right, and center. Over the course of the film, we discover that these Vendal are in fact human which is a great relief to all concerned, including Antonio Banderas. <laughs> so these Vendor figures, um, they have two leaders, which they are told they need to kill. They need to kill the queen, the mother of the Vendor, and they need to kill what is their equivalent of a general. He's like the head of this fire serpent. They talk about a fire serpent at one point, and it is, in fact, it's not a dragon. It's a train of cavalry carrying torches through the forest, which looks like a fire serpent, if, if you didn't know what it was. These were superstitious times. Uh, you may have noticed that uh, we were talking about Bullwife before who is the king of these new Vikings, newly appointed king. And you may have noticed there's a few uh, comparisons going on here. And I, it really only clicked with me when Bullwife is talking to Antonio Banderas at the end. He says, you know, he's probably going to die in the next battle. And, you know, because all of his possessions are back with his camp, he's had to travel with nothing. He's not going to be able to pass on into Valhalla with anything, anything of any worth. He says, unless someone can recount my story, someone can mean I can live on in legend. The legend is that of Beowulf. Which you can probably work, I'm sure you can work it out. They're talking about the Wendolt, Grendel attacking settlements at night, attacking halls. Thinly uh, the, veiled. The mother, of the, <laughs> <laughs> the mother of the Vendel, Grendel's mother, the fire serpent, which ultimately kills <laughs> Pale Wolf. It's, it's, it's not like a tongue twister that you do to warm up your vocals before a song. <laughs> Wendell the Vendel, the mother of Grendel, that's whatever it. you just said. That's it, that's it, it works. But yeah, so it basically, Michael Crichton's idea when he wrote this book, it was originally a book by him, The Eaters of the Dead, his proposition was it's like we don't know where beowulf came from it's an anglo-saxon legend we don't know its origin he said what if it was this ahmed ibn falan was a real person he was a real that his story is true as far as he went to he was sent as an ambassador from the caliphate of baghdad 
met with the Volga Vikings, witnessed a Viking funeral. His account is probably the best uh, account of a Viking funeral that we have today. And Michael Crichton embellished on that story and said, what if he actually met the man that would become the inspiration for Beowulf? The story got corrupted over the years, bits got added, it became more supernatural. But this could be your origin story for the legend of Beowulf. And that is essentially what you have here. That sounds quite interesting to me. Um, Doesn't it? So, Gavin, Ozzy, would mm. you agree that, that, I mean, does the plot go down in that way? Mm, no. Uh, so, John McTiernan directs a story about a group of mercenaries. John Wick? J- John McTiernan <laughs> directs a story about a group of mercenaries who journey to an unfamiliar terrain to battle a mystical and evil force, and they are picked off one by one. No, it's not The Predator. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, you'd be mistaken for thinking it was a good film, but it's not. It's a spiritual second cousin to Predator, um, the one we don't talk about and we keep locked away in the basement. <laughs> uh, it's clear whatever magic McTiernan had with Predator has definitely not been replicated here. Uh, I mean, like Dave has explained this film eloquently, I'll give him that, Like, but coming across on the screen, that does not happen. There is just, like, long dragged sections where fuck all happens where it's just dialogue essentially that it's been put in there to kind of um for context to describe how the next battle is going to happen essentially uh a lot of it just feels quite rushed as well now just talking about this film a little bit it did go through developmental hell like the original john mctiernan draft and was shown at test screenings under the name of eaters of the dead which dave said before but it was deemed unwatchable like people just walked out so michael Crichton took over the project to conduct extensive and expensive reshoots and it's rumored that the film with reshoots and marketing uh, combined cost an amazing 160 million to make grossing just over a third of that back now it like it's it, it, I, I, I can think... see Dave nodding in the background. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, knows, he knows literally all of the facts. <laughs> I know, I know. And, but you can tell when you're watching it that it, it's just a bit of a mess. It looks like it's had several people working on it at the same time or working on it at different stages. He's not agreeing <laughs> at this at all. Uh, now, Dave's story that he says there, yeah, I mean... <laughs> You can kind of gather most of that. So the, the, what he says about, you know, the 13th Warriors coming together, that all happens within the first, I'm going to say, six minutes. And then the next bit is just like a very prolonged period where, um, you know, you've, you've got like the kind of um, the, the Warriors sitting together and getting to know each other or having a drink. Um, Antonio Banderas' character learning to speak Norse within a matter of um, hours, essentially. Months. Oh, uh, Months. That's over many different... It takes a long time to travel from the, from the play of the River Volga back up to Denmark. It's not That's filmed very well. Months. It's not filmed very well. <laughs> essentially, really... what happens, right, is that uh, we, assu- we assume that uh, uh, Fadlan, that's his name, that's Ahmed, his name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ahmed, yeah. So Ahmed um, is speaking um, Arabic, Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I assume, yep. assume that's what he's uh, yeah. speaking anyway, but we hear it as English. Uh, now, when he meets the Norse soldiers, he can't understand them. They're speaking in Norse, and there's no subtitles at all, so we don't even know what they're saying. And I thought that was quite interesting. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Yeah, we're putting Ma- in his yeah, shoes for him. McTainan is not dumbing it down for the audience, you know, mm-hmm. like he's putting us in, in, uh, in, in Ahmed's position. But then, <laughs> upon their travels, there's one scene where they sit down around the campfire and they're kind of getting to know each other and having a drink. And he's just sat there in silence, just watching people talk. And without any context at all, you know, he doesn't kind of like, speak to any of them and say oh, hang on what do you explain that you know what, what's that word could you repeat that word you know there's no sort of training montage of him learning uh, Norse he just learns the language seemingly 
on one night just by listening to people tell jokes and it's just like and then it ends with them just going like oh yeah your mum's fat or something like that <laughs> in Norse and they're like Whoa! it's a little bit I'm going to take a little now but can I just say it's clearly not over one night the weather changes for one thing it's raining one minute they're in different kind of conditions everyone's sat different ways it's clearly over the course of many nights they just didn't drag it out I have and to say I, um, I do like the idea of a training montage <laughs> just like Rocky in my head but yeah. he's like sat there reading yeah, sat text well, no, because later on, what we find is Ahmed doesn't even know how to fight. He's not—he's not a warrior. Uh, he, he, get, he has his pants pulled down royally on their first battle because he doesn't know Literally. how to wield the sword. Literally, as well, <laughs> like, like the enemy comes behind him, yanks him down, and he's just like, "What do I do? Do I cover my bum? Do I cover my willy? You know, he doesn't know what to do." Uh, <laughs> I can see why Dave likes it. Now, <laughs> now the, the thing is, is that like there's a training montage later on of him like learning to wield, wield a sword and you know like kind of becoming a warrior. I just think that it would work better if it would have been like him being integrated into the group and learning how to speak Norse as well and learning to become one of them. If I may, he, he sticks to his own culture pretty much, but it makes sense that he could learn the language over the course of a few months because he's a scholar, he's a poet, he's a historian, he's a very well-educated man who clearly speaks other languages, just not Norse. I think it's feasible that he could, over a few months of just being immersed with no one else to chat to, all he has to do is listen. And as he said, you know, how did you learn our language? It's like, I listened. But he's got no context. Sense. He's got no con- he's, he's not. It's not like he's reading something with translations or he's reading something with subtitles or he's even got somebody sat next to him saying, this is this... Le- words this is how you say this phrase it's just like him listening like I, i'm sorry but like no matter how many languages i knew if i if you sat me down for a language I, I i didn't speak before and i just sat there listening after three months i'd be like right i've gone mad but you know he might be able to work out other bits of language i mean the norse kind of stems from latin in a way which you know we know he doesn't speak but he can uh, he probably can take other bits of other languages out of it and with regards to the training montage as it were it's not that he can't fight he can't fight with their weapons you know the thing he can't wield the, the norse sword because because it weighs a ton. He's used to fighting with a, a lighter blade, which he proves he's quite adept with. When he has it, the uh, the Norse blade stripped down to a much lighter weapon, he's actually very adept with it. And the Norse are kind of like begrudging applause. It's kind of like, okay, <laughs> fair enough. And one of them even says, you know what, well, if you die, can I give that to my daughter? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like Ozzy. He, he knew how to use a big blade on his head. <laughs> but yeah. He's forgotten how to use a comb. So, it's- <laughs> um, so uh, I mean, that I presume this is an action film. Yes, very it much is so. an action film. So, yeah, what's what's the what's the action like? What are the sword fights like? It's uh, pretty brutal. I mean, actually, fact, it's just a full-on onslaught of uh, fight after fight after after fight, really, and um, it does get a little bit tedious because it's just big brutish men with big brutish swords. Um, it's not much. There's not. I mean, it, it gets a little bit. It's a, it's a little bit underwhelming by the end, to be honest with you, because you've seen everything throughout the film. By the time you get to the last fight scene, it's a bit boring. You know, it's a bit of a letdown. Um, but to, to, at the start of it, in spite of like, I was going to be a bit uh, sort of nitpicky. So it's it's quite historically inaccurate in terms of what people are fighting with. Even that scimitar um, is is wouldn't have been there at the time. You know, wouldn't have even been in, in uh, Ahmed's land. Um, that's from a totally different part of the, the world, but it's like a, it's a plot point. It gets a story told, but yeah, the, the fighting is a, it's a little bit great at the start, very gory, and then yeah, just a bit of a letdown toward the end. If I may, if he invented the legend of Beowulf, maybe he invented that kind of blade. <laughs> maybe that's where that stemmed from. <laughs> but he's working with what he's got. He's got a Norse blade, and he just cannibalizes it into something more. 
wieldable for him. So, I mean, it's great how, how knowledgeable this guy is. You know, he's a poet, he knows dozens of languages, he's able to work languages out. Educated it, as educated shit. Educated as shit. He's able to blacksmith his own sword from a different sword. This guy is incredible, you know. He's never fought before and now he's off taking on crazy fog monsters you know so you, you, can't, you can't tell but he's been sarcastic a little bit um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I sort of agree with what Austin was saying I was really underwhelmed by the action in this uh, now you know it's a big action film as I said before John McTiernan is the guy that brought us Predator you know he, he's used to these big action set pieces especially in you know the jungle or you know in a different terrain now the first of the big action set pieces it happens at night and it is inside it's like inside what what is it? Would you say like, it's like a shed uh, or something? Uh, like a, it looks like a barn, but I think it's yeah, supposed yeah. to be like it's supposed to be like the drinking hut from yeah, oh, yeah, the yeah, Beowulf yeah. legend. I think that's where that first battle's meant to take so place. So it's, it's inside a barn, pitch black <laughs> essentially, and these <laughs> ignore everything Dave just said. It's in a fucking barn, right? uh, and these uh, these mythical creatures at, the, at this moment and point at this time they don't know they they're just regular guys. They think that there's some sort of like bear uh, man hybrid. Yeah. That's another thing. They must have killed so many fucking birds for those pelts yeah I'm sure the production crew didn't but it's supposed oh, yeah, to be suggested yeah, 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 yeah. let's just stress but that one <laughs> yeah, yeah. but right so, so the first one happens and it's in this barn pitch black you don't really see a lot of stuff that's going on uh, then the next fight that they have it is outside but once again it's uh, it, dead or night you can't really see much you know there's there's the visuals of arrows being set on fire and you know the, the, this, the thing is is that it's one thing I hate in Hollywood is the shaky cam there's a lot of that going on there's, there's, some of these scenes are too close so you can't really see what's going on some of them are kind of it's too dark so you can't really see what's going on then I was just saying like I just want to see some of the action in daylight I want to see like some natural lighting or some actual you know some synthetic lighting I just want to see what's going on so then the next fight when they were like right we know that the enemies are actually guys. We know that they're not demons. We're going to track them down and kill them. Where are they based? In a cave. Fucking brilliant, you know what I mean? So the next <laughs> big fight black. is in a cave. Pitch black. The only fight, which is in daylight, is the last one right at the very end, but it's lashing it down. It's it's raining quite a bit. So even some of that, you miss out on the camera work as well. I will say that that is probably the best of the, the four big battle scenes, is the, the last one. I mean, I kind of... In- I didn't enjoy, but compared to the last one, I thought that the first three were grittier and a bit more thriller-esque, you know, I think a bit what they scarier, were trying to go for, but... I think they're trying to go for the grittiness of All Out War, and I think the darkness actually plays an important part in it, because you've got this, like, myth surrounding the Wendell at first, you know, are they real, are they some sort of supernatural entity, because the Vikings are kind of horrified when the battles died down, and in the first one of the drinking hall, it's like, there's no bodies, it's like, did we not kill any? I'm sure we did, I, you know, I, one guy says, I'm sure I, I hit three that could not have lived, and of course, they take their dead away, you know, they, they work together to take the dead away, eaters of the dead, it kind of makes sense but if it was better lit than that we'd have seen what was going on we'd have seen these were men the myth would have been dispelled far too quickly that needed to be done in darkness but i think with the one with the cave the one at night i think you see enough we're hardly talking game of the final season of game of thrones here mm-hmm. you see enough it's fairly well lit for for nighttime battles and a battle in the cave well um, okay you don't miss anything but I, I, I'm going to compare this to another uh, battle scene that came out in the same year. I know it's two wildly different <laughs> battle scenes, but Saving Private Ryan, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about how it was filmed, you know, the cinematography, the fact that, you know, that was that, that frantic sort of battle, you know, everybody was getting shot and blown up and, uh, you know, you could see 
a lot of it is essentially what I'm trying to say. Whereas within this, it was this, they were going for the same sort of um, gritty, like just senseless violence where people's limbs are just being blown off left, right, and centre. But the thing is, <laughs> where are they being blown off though? No, they're not really being blown. But I suppose well, people's, people's heads are getting they get chopped off, off and, and somebody's yeah. arm gets ripped yeah. off as well. Yeah, they're but very just, much going for the gore. I mean, to aspect. be fair, I, I, I would say vastly different budgets. Right? I was going to say, I know this one massively <laughs> over budget. But are, they, are they vastly <laughs> different? Yeah. Budgets? I know this one over budget, but they didn't have a touch of what. Spielberg had, and also Spielberg was suspecting a real battle. This is this is fictitious. This is a fantasy sort of battle. And I think with Spielberg doing the D-Day landings and other such things, he had an obligation to get that right mm, yeah, and yeah, to make yeah. that realistic and get it accurate. McTiernan is under no such obligation. Well, it, it it screams to me a little bit like, oh, we went over budget. We need to go back and do some reshoots. We don't really have the money to do it. Can we just dim the lighting a little bit? <laughs> you know, that's what it felt like. I don't think it was. It felt I like they were making up for it. They were compensating for something. And the, these reshoots, this is not necessarily a bad thing. Michael Crichton, who's the original author of the source material, he worked as an executive producer with John McTiernan on this one. They worked together on this project quite closely. And because McTiernan had gone so over budget, they decided that he might not be the best person to come back in and do the rest of 13th Warrior. And I think he was unavailable anyway so michael crichton stepped up now you might think that's a bad idea getting the author in but he knew his source material he knew how to make mm. this work and he's a tested director he did the andromeda strain he's adapted his own works successfully in the past it's not as an out there a choice as you may think oh no i'm not questioning that i think he was probably the best choice to to be brought in to finish it off i'm just saying the quality of the film it did looked... he finish it off or did he just bring it back to life <laughs> <laughs> I think he feasted on its corpse. <laughs> but like, so I'm right. Okay, another comparison. I know wildly different budgets, uh, but a few years later, you've got the um, the famous battle from the two towers, and that's a very sort of similar thing with you know yeah, uh, heroes fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the yeah. way that those are filmed, it's completely different leagues. Mm. You know, like they, uh, I know Lord of the Rings will have had a bigger budget, obviously, but you can't and a CGI department exactly. But you can't argue. Well, of, well, the thing. There's it's a lot of the, shit yeah. effects in this, though, aren't there? Really? There's not a great deal of CGI, so, no. though. Most of the fights were done with stuntmen and, you know, proper hand-to-hand combat sort of things, whereas it couldn't be CGI'd in the same way. They probably didn't have the money to CGI it, or let alone a department to do so. Mm-hmm. But all the same with the darkness of this, and we're talking about the film, one thing you've got to say about this film is it is so atmospheric, particularly atmospheric. So I'll let you answer this one, Dave. Okay. One thing that gets on my tits sometimes in, <laughs> in that's what you want to hear coming from your judge. This will be good. <laughs> in action films is just when they have battles for, you know, no apparent reason, just to kind of show off the choreography or this you know, the CGI or whatever. Are the battles in this film uh kind of relevant to the story and by that, you know, do you kind of get invested in them and do you care like in the in the outcome, that type of thing? Absolutely, yes. This is not the sort of action film where it is all about the flair and it's all supposed to be about the beauty of the action sequence itself. This is gritty. This is down to word. This is kind of very real violence. And like you say, you don't even, it happens so fast. Gav was talking about the shaky camera work and what have you. You catch enough of it, but in the heat of battle, you're not going to get a full panoramic picture of what's going on around you. Once again, much as with the language at the start of the film, you're supposed to be put in Ahmed's shoes to a degree, and he can only see what's going on around him. So you don't get these big epic battle landscapes. And with so far as the violence and the choreography goes, there isn't, well, I'm sure there must have been choreography, but it doesn't have flair. It's not done to look stylish. It's not done to look good. It's practical. It's brutal. It's more like brawling than it is a, a fencing duel or something like that. So it's not got the same beauty that we, you, would, you may see from some action films these days where it's beautifully choreographed martial arts sequences. It's brutal and it's bloody and it's unpleasant and it's war. It's medieval warfare. Okay, so 
In terms of the cast and the characters, I mean, obviously, I presume Antonio Banderas is the 13th warrior. Yes. The, I presume, I mean, how many warriors are there in total? Or are they <laughs> the all? 13. <laughs> 13. He, so there's 13. And the, to be all... fair, though, he could have been the 13th of, like, yeah, hundreds. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. yeah, good point, good point. Are, yeah. are the other 12, like, are they kind of big names, or are they just kind of, like, cannon fodder, or how do they fit into the story? Dave is going to say that they're big names because no, Dave no. knows them. No, 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 no. <laughs> You've got to think out. about Dave's film some knowledge. The, some, of got, some of them have got long names. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant. Yeah, by yeah, yeah. Hear me out. They are not big names. They are. They went for a lot of Norse actors for this one. They're big in Denmark. Like if I was to go for uh, uh, two of them from Scotland. A couple of them are, yeah, but there's, there's some Norse in there. Some Dane. There's some Icelandic. There's. Uh, I mean, Vladimir Kulik, who plays Bullywife, is um, Czech. Uh, well, Czech Canadian, I believe. Yeah, classic, so they're from all over the Norse place, which is kind of country. true. Which is kind of true to Vikings. You know, they weren't just from Denmark. You know, a lot of pillaging they were also and trading. From Norway and Sweden, they, uh, yeah. they were from all over the place by the end of it. And that is something that is also hinted at in the dress that the Thirteen Warriors have. You know, the, some of them is wearing Spanish armor, and it makes sense. You know, they would have gone to Spain. They would have traded or stolen. So it makes sense. It's like, oh, I like this helmet. I'm wearing this. But the actors are from all over the place. And I wouldn't say there's any major names in there. So the biggest names you got are Antonio Banderas and Omar Sharif, who plays um, is companion Melchizedek who doesn't follow him into battle he's just there for the start of the film but you've got Vladimir Kulik who plays Borvif and he is superb in this now he may not be particularly well known I think he's been in Vikings TV series I think he may have been in Jack Reacher but he's not a particularly well known actor yeah, but he is yeah he plays a lot of Vikings <laughs> Does play a lot? he's got the look for it let's be honest now but he's great in this you know man of very few words but still very powerful presence um, Dennis Storhoy who plays Herger I thought was fantastic he's you know his nickname is the joyous in the film and he is very much the joker of the group he brings a bit of life to these quite sullen vikings at times and he's the one who uh, antonio banderas ultimately strikes a bit of a rapport with possibly because he's the only one who speaks latin and was able to converse with him through melchizedek at the start of the film and there's plenty of good character actors in here you got clive russell better known to some uh, game of thrones viewers as as brendan tully caitlin's uncle uh, he's another of the of the vikings and you got tony curran who's become quite a prolific character actor he's in there as well and you, you got a great number of these actors who, yeah, you may not know them, they may not be big names, but they do the job they were brought in to do and they do it well. <laughs> that was Gav shaking yeah, his yeah, head. silence. Was Everybody Gav- else, Gav just shook his head. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm not having that. Uh, like, it, I, I think it was a case of they had they they kind of realized how much money they had to spend. They'd already got Antonio Banderas in. They'd already got Omar Sharif in. They knew that they have to spend quite a lot of money on locations and the fight scenes as well. So they were like, "Oh, we've got about a million to uh, to work with here to get another twelve warriors." So it's a case of you know people doing IOUs. Was it and, you like know... don't tell the bride when they've pissed? 10 <laughs> yeah. Grand. <laughs> the twelve grand up the Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I, like I will say that. Right, so my main beef with this film is that there are too many characters to build an emotional connection with before they die. Now, I, not necessarily that there's too many to build an emotional connection with, because I think this this films in the past that have had like a really big um, amount of cast that you can build connections with, um, like you know, gone in sixty seconds, <laughs> just, like gone in sixty fucking seconds. I, mean, I was thinking the Great Escape, but that's nothing in comparison to gone in. I mean, like when when, when 
Timothy Jones finally speaks at the end of that film. Oh, that man. really got me in the feels, man. Yeah, it's that in the was... feels every time. Yeah, yeah. Who, who needs Steve McQueen trying to jump over Bob Dwyer on his bike when you've got Nicolas Cage in a fucking when uh, Ferrari? The, when he said, yeah, in the Crusher. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, well, you've, really you've moved on from Lolita. But anyway, that, that, you're talking about a completely different film. Yeah, let's, let's get back on point, please. Right, so so for me, there's too many to work with here. I'd say I was, I was asked about three, maybe four other characters. Um, Which th- is just as well, because they're the only four that get to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that leaves like nine warriors who I genuinely couldn't care less if they died or lived. Uh, now compare this, as I said before, to McTeenan's other uh, film, uh, Predator. Uh, I know I keep on missing out Die Hard, but uh, you know, it's, it's very similar, I think, aesthetically to Predator. Admittedly, there was only about like eight or nine of them, but you really built a connection with those characters in that short amount of time. So when they died, you actually cared about it. Whereas there's some, there's some here that they don't even get one line of dialogue. They're dead within the first battle. You're not really bothered. There's the second battle, another couple of them die. You, once again, you haven't really built up any relationship with them. The only one that I was genuinely asked about, and I was asked, was, uh, was, was Bull, Bullwife? Bullwife. Bull, Bullwife. Uh, but when he Is dies... Bell Sniff or whatever you call Bell it. Sniff. Yeah, Bell Sniff. Yeah. <laughs> when Bell Touch later on, but when he, when he dies, like he has this really defiant moment in, de- in death where he sits down and he just accepts his death uh, after, you know, being successful in the battle. That is a really poignant moment and I think, you know, that's done very, very well and you actually feel something for that character dying. But there's another like six, seven deaths earlier that you don't care about at all. And the thing is, is that it's because there's not enough time spent on those characters. And when you look at the flip side as well, the enemies for me, for the film, they remind me, as I said before, about the two towers. They remind me of the orcs from the two towers. Yeah, they're scary and interesting at the beginning, but they just become fodders for the heroes after a while. You know, like how many times are we just going to see them like random like uh, enemies with you know a, a bear pellet just like running into a different sword? So many of them are just slaughtered throughout these battles. They, they they just become just generic at the end. It's it's less and less impactful. And the Wendell mother, who uh, Dave referenced before, she is like the big bad essentially. She's the uh, the leader of, of this tribe. Um, she isn't introduced until about the last 30 minutes of the film and when she does make an appearance I thought shit here we go shit is about to go down big style here but she's dispatched off relatively quickly admittedly she does slash uh, Bellwife uh, with poison before she goes and you know that's that's uh, he dies from those injuries essentially but she's bumped off relatively easily now bearing in mind that this is something that they're building up towards I thought like this is going to be like a really big battle here you know but it just it doesn't happen I think there needed to be more focus on it and um, talking about, like Dave said, the, the biggest members of the cast, uh, Omar Sharif is barely in this film. Like, he gets I second he's the billing. Name. Uh, yeah, yeah, but he's, he's got second billing as well. There's, there's, I feel, feel like Bellwife and no, you know, a couple no, of others. He gets an and. Omar Sharif at the end of the credits run. Which essentially is like, hey, and Omar Sharif. No, it's just like we've got a Hollywood legend in Man. the film. It's just like, and Omar Sharif. He's but here for a bit. I will say something like to, to Dave. He's not got second billing. Dave might, might miss this bit out, um, but he was in it for about six minutes, I'm going to say, in total. The same six minutes it took to meet all the 13 warriors and for him to learn Norse. It's like, much, keep going yeah. about the six minutes. Yeah, yeah it's in, he's in those six he's minutes. For a good he is 15. in those six minutes. He's in it for 15 at the start. It's right, like 15 okay. to get the plot established. No, but, but I, 
I will say this, that Omar Sharif was so disappointed by the finished cut of this film that he temporarily retired from acting. Like he thought it was that, you know, there was that shit. Yeah, I just, I've heard this rumour as well. For about 14 months until he decided to go make The Parole Officer with Steve Coogan. Like, the Parole Officer is like the godfather in comparison to this. Like, um, but one thing that I think we definitely need to touch upon is Antonio Banderas's casting as uh, an as an uh, Arabic Arab, character, yeah. essentially, mm-hmm. when obviously we know that he's Latin American um, and Spanish. or Spanish, sorry, I should say, uh, yeah, and the casting, uh, like on on paper doesn't look good maybe they, on maybe film they, looks worse maybe the casting team had the same geography as you getting, <laughs> getting Latin America in Spain next up. No, it's a fair point to raise it really is um, it's regrettable when you look back at it for sure it shouldn't have been that way I mean this film only came out in 1999 it's only 20 years old but a lot has happened in the last 20 years. You know, Hollywood really has wised, has wised up a bit, and it should have wised up sooner. But unfortunately, this kind of casting was commonplace. You know, you can't really just write off the whole film because it happened. It is very regrettable. It shouldn't have happened. It, it better not happen again. You know, we're in a much better place now as far as Hollywood goes. But it happened. You can't write the whole film off as a result of it. One thing you can write. Sorry. Character motivation. So I, one thing which I didn't really grasp, you know, because we talked about him being a poet. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I never, for, for one, I never really got the, the feeling that, you know, why, why did he bother joining them? You know, he said, I'm a, I'm a poet, I'm not a fighter. They come on, oh, well, yeah, well, we were told we need 13 of us, and mm. one, of the, one of us has got to not be here. Because that's what he started to be. Remember when they first encounter the Vikings, when they scare off that, that caravan of raiders? Um, and they're like, oh, no, leave them. You know, the Vikings are savages. You know, don't, don't speak to them. He's like, and I'm ambassador. I'm here to meet people. That's what I've been sent here to do. It's my job. So insofar as obliging his hosts and helping to learn more about their culture and embarking with them on this adventure, that is something I believe he would be willing to do in his role as ambassador. And then also, I never really believed the uh, the initial leaving of the... So he falls in love with the king's wife? Uh, another man's wife, it's, it's a good It's not the king, yeah. it's another man's wife. Yeah, that entire bit was essentially pointless. Yeah, I mean... Like, I thought that was going to play no, a big part in the film. Yeah, there was, like, there was literally... It never got brought up yeah. again. No, like, that, at all, it just disappeared. It was and gone. from what we know about the real Ahmed Ibn Falan, that, that bit is probably made up. You know, there's no suggestion that he had... He was forced out of the Baghdad Caliphate for whatever oh, okay. reason. I think they did that to make him feel like more of a fish out of water. That it's like, he never wanted to leave. He had quite a cushy position back in Baghdad. He didn't want to go. He was kind of forced out, and here he is making the best of a bad situation oh, okay. so i think I, that's i, I that. think that's why they brought that around so just, just out of curiosity i just wanted to see if dave could name all 13 warriors <laughs> <laughs> i feel no. like <laughs> no i cannot <laughs> i can name some i can yeah. name some clive russell was health den i remember that okay uh dennis uh storehoy was herger vladimir kulik was bullvive um Daniel Southern was Edge, though. After this, it starts getting hazy. Tony Curran was Weath. It says hazy, but I've just Googled it, right? And four of them aren't even listed on Google. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about That's probably all I can know. Okay, yeah. So, aside from um, the Antonio Banderas casting issue, mm-hmm. how has the film aged? Sometimes, you know, films from that era, they look, you know, pretty bad, let's be fair. But then you watch something like Braveheart, and I think that stands up, you know, pretty well even by today's standards, probably because of the lack of things like CGI. And Dave mentioned there wasn't too much CGI here. So has it aged well? Like, could you watch it today and, you know, not notice too many kind of, 
you know, things that draw you out of the experience. I think you've hit the nail on the head. The lack of CGI is probably what's made it age in an acceptable fashion. This could have looked so out of place now compared to how fast cinema has moved on, but I think they get away with it and it still looks okay. It still looks pretty fresh, to yeah. be fair, um, because of the lack of CGI. Yeah, costumes are good. Uh, uh, it's shot fairly. F- where, when in, I think it's shot daylight, it's shot, I genuinely shot think it's shot well. So the scenes are nice, you know, the sailing scenes when you can see some of the mountains and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's pretty impressive. I think it's very uh, atmospheric. And also one thing I haven't touched on yet before you go to Gav, uh, the score. I just want to mention the score quick because I feel like we're wrapping up the score. It's fantastic. Uh, done by Jerry Goldsmith of Chinatown, The Omen, Poltergeist, Total Recall, Early Confidential, Air Force One. Uh, fantastic score from him. Really, I mean, he's, he's written some great really scores before. And this was another good one. And this was another good one. <laughs> Once again, there, I feel sorry for, I can't even remember the name of the original oh, the composer. Oh, the guy who got, got uh, binned off. Yeah, so John McTiernan uh, hired a, a composer to score it when, when the film was deemed unwatchable. Then Michael Crichton hired Jerry Goldsmith and completely rewrote all of it. So I just feel really harsh on that guy. It really worked. It was a beautiful score and it worked, worked well with the film. Maybe it was home, the right one, Home, the main thing. I don't need to recount it for you. Home the theme from Dr. Zhivago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Case in point. It can be a beautiful score. You don't have to remember every moment. Laura's theme. Uh, Laura's theme. Okay, so <laughs> wrapping up very swiftly. Um, is there any other kind of points that anybody wants to touch on before we before we call it a day? Um, I don't think I emphasised just how shit it was. <laughs> <laughs> for me, for me, I felt like that it. You can see that a lot of money has been spent on it um, compared to what it had, but it's just a bit boring. Yeah. I just want to say, I think that's very unfair. I think this is a really atmospheric film, really well shot. And it was a massive box office flop, one of the worst in 1999. And I think the studio picked up on it because Michael Crichton had had great success in the 90s, Jurassic Park probably spiking his interest in his books. So they made this film on the back of that. This was one of his earliest novels. It was a massive departure for a man who's known in the sci-fi genre predominantly. And I just think the box office wasn't in the mood for a Viking film at the time. Just not interested. Okay, that's that's good stuff from uh, both sides there. I mean, thanks to Alex not coming, I'm going to have to do the quiz myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, normally with these quizzes, I like to kind of base it around some of the some of the casting characters, as you know. But when I looked at the casting characters here, there wasn't much to pick from, so I decided to go with the main man, Antonio Banderas. And this is just a list of quotes. From Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas is involved in in some way in some of his films. I've tried to pick the more uh, kind of well-known films because some of these quotes you may not remember, but hopefully just the content will will kind of uh, be obvious enough. So um, everyone has got to buzz in before the answer. Um, Dave, I'm expecting you to get full marks. If you don't, Jeez. you off the podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so, question one. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, oh, you're fuck. off the podcast, does he? <laughs> um, I have broken the fourth commandant, Padre. You killed somebody? No, that's not the fourth commandant. Desperado. No. Wrong. That is the Mark of, Mask of Zorro. Correct, Dave. Oh, piss. Uh, so, question two. He hangs around with a lot of priests in his films, is what I'm guessing here. Are you insinuating something? Uh, I can't believe I'm going to be a father. How did this happen? Allow me to explain. When a man falls in love with a woman, he is overcome with powerful urges. Shrek. Correct. Uh, Question three. What do you think? 
I don't think I drink. Ooh. Mm. That's Prado. <laughs> Close. Uh, about once upon a time, time in Mexico. Mexico. <laughs> Correct, Dave. Uh, question four. I like the idea of me doing my job more than the idea of somebody else doing my job. <laughs> Assassins? Nope. Um, um, I'm struggling to think of any more. I'm turning Banderas films. Let's give you a clue with Desperado. No. I think you're just going to go through all the content. This one, if you were like um, an electrician and you uh, were rewiring something. Oh, come on, Ozzy, you're an electrician. What, what do you do when you rewire? rewire I mean, I literally just said one of the words that's in the film title. Uh, oh, the electrician. <laughs> no, it's haywire. Oh, okay. Obviously. This one is a complete piece of piss. If, if you don't get it, you're all off the podcast. And it's just gonna be no. I know nothing of God or of the devil. I have never seen a vision nor learned a secret that will damn or save my soul. And as far as I know, after 400 years... Interview with a vampire. <laughs> Correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm the that oldest like living vampire in the world. That was the last one. Oh. I forgot, forgot he was there. Um, so next one. What happens when he's dead? When Bucho's dead, it's over. Desperado. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> next one. Uh, did she finish you off or did... Oh, this one, Bam. 13th Warrior. 13th Warrior. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I breathe in buzz, so Bam. 13th Warrior. <laughs> Okay, next one. Killing a woman, it's not the same as killing a man. You have to Bam. put... Assassins. Correct. <laughs> yeah! Uh, okay, last two. That's a pretty bad state for a state to be in. This is an actual line. I, instead of government, we had a stage. Instead of ideas, a prima donna's rage. Bam! Bam. Uh, Evita. Correct. <laughs> and last but not least, don't trust the government. They, they're young. Now, Avita again. <laughs> Bam, spy kids. No. <laughs> Don't trust the government kids. The young. Don't spy for them. Now I know Don't why your team dropped you. Courageous but insane. Um, what? Pussy um, boots. Expendables. Expendables. Ah, Expendables. Yeah, well done. Well done. Well, I'm going to give it to Dave and Gav closely second with Ozzy. Bullshit. I want to recount. <laughs> I didn't count them okay. Um... So, in terms of the judgment, like I, I respect to Dave for picking this because I think it is very much um, a fifty-fifty, and they uh, shut up, Gav. Before I, you how speak. come whenever I pick a fifty-fifty film, I don't get respect? I just get shot on. Some of your fifty Also, some of your fifty-fifties are more like eighty twenties. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, listening to the arguments again, I, th- I think it, it, it could definitely go either way. And what, one thing I always use when I judge these films is if I actually want to watch it. And I think Dave definitely sold that part to me. Whether I'll enjoy it or not is a completely, <laughs> is a completely different matter. Um, the one thing that does kind of put me off is that there's men to be 13 warriors and most of them kind of sound like they're just kind of cannon fodder. Um, but, I have kind of a personal enjoyment and kind of like those Norse films, you know, like Vikings and all that type of stuff and gory battles and everything that goes along with that. So, I mean, personally for me, it kind of sounds like I'd enjoy it and it's like my type of film. Um, So I'm going to put it on the hit list. But again, it's probably based more on personal preference. Well done, man. Well done. Well done, Dave. Thank you. Now, I should probably say that we probably don't need to guess... What your genuine opinion was? No, I brought it to the table for a reason. I, I love it. 
Um, Ozzy? I, I didn't hate it. I think um, I think it's got a bad press. I did a lot of research, and I actually think that it was probably hated because of its really poor marketing. I think it wasn't a terrible film. I don't think it was nearly as good as well as, as Predator, for example, or you know, or Die Hard. It's a very different film to either of them. But I didn't like. I didn't hate it. I didn't think it was uh, quite as bad as I made it out to be. But I probably wouldn't run to watch it again. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell someone to avoid it. I'll take that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I genuinely didn't mind it either, to be honest. I, I I wanted it to be better, though. That's the only thing, you know, uh, like most of the points that I made before about being disappointed by the fight scenes and them being too dark and too rushed and too, you know, shaky camera. I I, I would have liked it just like a, a bit lighter, a step back, longer shots to actually see what's going on. Um, I, I do think that the, the story, as Dave said, was really good. You know, I think that they did have a really good cast as well. I mean, admittedly, I didn't know that many of them before I watched this, but I think they did a really good job. But I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more. I think, you know, if, if they would have been given a little bit more time, maybe, or a little bit more money or you know if they would have had um I've nearly just said Clive Barker. <laughs> if they would have had, had Clive Barker on, it would have been a much more gruesome film. I tell you that much. No, but if they would have had Michael Crichton from the beginning, maybe it might have it might have been better. You know, but yeah, it, it was a decent film, but I just wanted a bit more from it. Yeah. It's disappointing Alex couldn't make this one because he did actually watch it and he said to me, "You know what? I really liked it." And I yeah. was like, "You know, he can be quite hard to please with films." So I was, uh, I was disappointed not to have him as an ally on this one. It might have been more of a hindrance, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay, so higher, <laughs> so, so uh, higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was It Chapter Two. Right, <laughs> H Chapter Two on Rotten Tomatoes got sixty four percent critical and eighty percent audience. I love Thirteenth Warrior. It's going to be lower though. Okay, it is. It is a very fifty fifty Marmite film. I think it's going to be. Well, yeah, I think it's going to be lower. I can't, I can't remember what I read, but I'm sure it's lower. Okay, Joel? Uh, yeah, I'll go with lower. Okay, yeah, well, uh, you are all right. It is lower on both of them. A 33% critical and 65% audience, so it's not that bad in That's comparison, to be honest. 65 is all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't want to know what Roger Ebert thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and right, so once again, uh, I put up a poll on Twitter over the weekend and asked our friends and followers which list the 13th Warriors should be placed on. Uh, it was quite down the middle, as you said, David, it's a divisive film. 56% of our listeners decided that it should be placed on the hit list so yeah well you might have called it right there joel i'm delighted with that um and just before we adjourn the case it's time for a little bit of a caption contest so what i do here is i get a screenshot of the film and i put it on twitter and ask our friends and followers to provide captions with the funniest one winning a frog shaped chocolatey treat Okay, so in this picture, we've got Antonio Banderas, um, uh, so Ahmed and uh, Belsniff. Um, Bullwife. Bullwife. <laughs> uh, both of them are stood behind giant uh, stakes. Mm-hmm. It looks like they're holding them up, especially Antonio Banderas. It looks like he's grasping his. Uh, so basically, you guys have just got to decide which is the best caption out can, of the I following. I can only imagine where yeah, most this, of these comments are going to go. Yeah. So I, I should say that Antonio Banderas, uh, Ahmed is looking at Bellwife in a sort of like amazed, in amazed fashion. So the first one is, you are a golden god. Um, he, he, my pole is longer than yours. <laughs> my god, he's dreamy. Um, what do you mean that the sorrow Zika was suck? <laughs> Don't worry, Thor. I won't let Sony take you ever. <laughs> Are you sure your name's not Beowulf? <laughs> Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. <laughs> um, 
after his 10th lashing, Antonio wondered if agreeing to paint Vigo the Carpathian was a, <laughs> was a smart move after all. Uh, what do you use on your hair and where can I get some? Uh, last one here is, hey, what number warrior are you? We've got one here, Ozzy trying to get Gav's advice on how to win a trial. <laughs> <laughs> Did you submit that last one? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Okay, so which one's the best there, guys? I think the Thor, the Thor Sony one. one yeah, yeah, I'm going to go good. with Thor. Yeah. Topical and still raw. Yeah, I want to <laughs> know who said the last one. <laughs> okay, so our, our good friend, uh, Frank the Tank, a long-time listener. Um, what did he recommend recently? Oh, um, uh, that shit sack Schneider oh, one. Right, right, yeah, yeah, Should yeah, we yeah. give it to Frank anyway? Because he, uh, he he does sound scary still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, you can have one as well, pal. Uh, but the winner of this one is uh, Anthony After Midnight. So at Pod After Mid uh, with Don't Worry Thor, I Won't Let Sony Take You Ever. You've just won yourself a lovely Freddo. Okay, so just before we call it a day, we wanted to give a shout out to one of our podcasting friends, The Countdown Podcast. Now, this is a great show with hosts Paul and Wayne giving film reviews every week, but also top 10 pieces each week as well, like top 10 guilty pleasure TV shows and top 10 man crushes, which is wholly inaccurate because it doesn't involve Tony Todd. But if you like our show, if you like especially the banter and the way we insult each other, then you're going to love this show as well because they do a lot of that also they've got great chemistry they're really funny it's very entertaining definitely check them out they're on apple podcasts the countdown pod and you can follow them on twitter at the countdown pc okay so next week's film has been pulled out of the hat at random and it is la la land now all of the roles have also been picked out of the hat at random as well so in the role of defense and trying to get it placed on the hit list will be ozzy and joel and in prosecution will be myself and that means the judge is going to be Dave. Unfortunately, we're not going to have Alex with us again. So I'm going to be prosecuting La La Land on my bill. <laughs> right. So just want to say thank you to everybody who has listened to this episode. Please remember to like, share and subscribe. Tell all your friends and family about us. We're entertaining. And if you listen to us long enough, you can learn English. Just spread the warm love <laughs> that is. It's true though. It's true. Definitely Antonio Banderas would probably be able to do it. Um, but just spread the warm love that is Films on Trial in as many years as possible. Check out our Twitter page at Film Trials. Check out our fantastic graphic artist, Winston Sang, while you're there, at the underscore quirks. And also check out our website, filmsontrial.co.uk. And follow us on Facebook. Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly content. Now, that is it. The 13th Warrior is a hit, and we'll be in your ears next week with La La Land. Goodbye. Uh-huh.